Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And for those who listen, I I love doing this because I get opportunities to talk to friends, friends who I've known for years or friends I've known for moments. And this is a friend that uh, I get to talk to and ask questions of who's been a friend for many years. And today I'm with uh, Dan Olson, who is the managing director of Anselm House in Minneapolis and also the co-founder and director of the Spreading Hope Network, um, which is a cool thing that maybe we'll have more conversations about another time, because today we're actually talking about his new, I don't necessarily want to call it a children's book, but I feel like it's a little bit like a children's book. It's called Oh, the Treasures You'll Know by Dan Olson, uh, illustrated by Craig McKinney. Macintosh, I think I get that right. And it's a parody for all ages. Macintosh. Thank you, Dan. Um, It's a parody for all ages, a little bit taken off of Dr. Seuss book, but Dan, I don't want to take it because I want to read the first page and then the last page and then get your reflections on it and dive into this conversation is on the first page. You say, you know, you, you kind of take this and congratulations. You're off on your way. You've been faithful and little much awaits you don't stray and then the last page so be your name bella or seuss or abdul marita or bunyan please don't be a fool if you're going places god's grace lights the way run straight for his treasures you're off and away and so one of the things i thought was interesting is it feels like you start with an ending and you end with an ending but I think there's some purpose to that, but then also part of it is also in that parody. Can you, can you share more about what you're trying to do and, and how this is a parody for all ages? Yeah, well, first off, Eric, just want to say thank you so much for having me on. Um, for those listeners that don't know, Eric once was a, a pitching coach and was a great pitcher himself. This is a, in the game of baseball. And so Eric and I, first got to know each other when he was my pitching coach at uh, Wheaton College. And so I feel like you're teaching me again how to pitch uh, book ideas and things. Um, But yeah, I mean, Dr. Seuss wrote, probably his most popular book is Oh, the Places You'll Go. And I, it's a parody of his book. And, you know, graduation is a time of transition it's a huge accomplishment in the lives of students, whether it's graduating from kindergarten, right? Eighth grade, high school or college. And it's a book that Seuss's book is a book that people give at all of those different stages of life. So it's, it is a children's book, like you said, um, but it's kind of aimed at an audience and it says for all ages and it kind of has a double meaning. It's both for any age of person, but it's also kind of pointing to an eternal transition that we all are are eventually going to encounter. Um, and I would say in general, the reason what prompted me to write the book uh, was reading Seuss's Other Places You'll Go, which is it's obviously I love Dr. Seuss and he's a brilliant, he was a brilliant writer and thinker, but the book itself does kind of help it, it forces the reader to place their hope in their own accomplishments. And their achievements in life. I mean, it talks about fame and, you know, and glory, you know, as sort of the, the be all and end all of what students future will look like. And for Christian readers, 
that's a, a lie, you know, that, that our identity comes through what we receive from God, not what we achieve for God. Um, and so, you know, the, that, that's kind of the, so the reason why I started that way and ended that way is in part because Seuss himself kind of started his book, you know, as a nod to the graduation transition. And then he ends it with a similar kind of turn of phrase, but I tried to point people to running straight for the glory of God and the treasures that we store up in heaven that cannot be destroyed. So question for you on this, for you, right. You know, like Dr. Seuss wrote a lot of books, you know, and different things. And if I'm not mistaken, this is your first try. Yeah. Right. And, and I love it and it's great. And I've given it to a number of people already. It, but, but what's, what was the impetus or what was the energy for you? And you, you've kind of already shared it, but what was the energy for you to kind of like raise your hand? And I'm going to give this an alternative shot. Well, I, it was actually, you probably know the name David Brooks. He's kind of a writes the New York times. And I remember it was, I was actually listening on audio, his book, the road to character. And he kind of does this deep critique of Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go as like a perfect exemplary book that is kind of illustrating the sort of expressive individualism of our culture and the meritoc- like he calls it the meritocracy of American, you know, life. And there is a kind of moral ecology, I would say, to the shape of the story. And what I think is very true is the moral ecology of the pla- Oh, the Places You'll Go assumes that that those kinds of messages are foundational for what is true in the world and what's interesting there's a this might people with dr seuss you know in the last couple of years there's been all these you know people dismissing a couple of his other books because of maybe culturally insensitive illustrations and they've taken them off the shelves Um, but nobody's i think generally american society you know kind of celebrates achievement, accomplishment as kind of why, you know, why we're here. And from a Christian perspective, I would say that, oh, the places you'll go is probably one of the more subversively damaging books of the Seuss corpus. Um, There's a American sociologist and cultural critic, a guy named Philip Reef, and he coined this term called a death work. And he mostly was talking about, you know, great works of fiction and things, but it's a work of art that presents an all out assault upon something vital to a culture. And uh, I think uh, what I think American society and Christian society needs a lot more of is, is, is denying ourselves, dying to self, pouring out our life for the sake of others and not um, you know, kind of glorying in our own achievements. Um, and I think a sort of self-forgetfulness and a, you know, repentance and, um, you know, essentially Christian virtue is what's deeply missing. And uh, the point of all the treasures you'll know is to sort of orient the heart of the reader. And it's kind of meant to be a read aloud that parents can do with kids, but also that's something that a high school kid getting would find lots of deep wisdom in it. And so you'll find in the book uh, kind of evidences of the seven kind of 
the cardinal virtues and the theological virtues that are being pointed towards. And um, the main character is kind of avoiding the seven deadly sins throughout the journey that he's going on. And the rewards that they're running for are the rewards of the five crowns that are um, evidenced in the New Testament, um, the crown of life, the crown of eternity, the crown of glory, the crown of righteousness, and the crown of rejoicing. So it's kind of a Pilgrim's Progress meets Dr. Seuss tale. And uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of this, it feels like kind of a labor of love. I kind of couldn't get it out of my mind that I wanted to work on this. And so it, it was a, pro a project that took a couple of years and, uh, and it's exciting for me that they, I, I kind of did a version of it myself and kind of published it with a friend. And then 10 of those publishing uh, just last year contacted me and said they wanted to kind of take it to the broader market. And so uh, it's been fun to watch it. So it's just, it just came out in the last couple of days. That's really cool. And, and so like you, 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 you've spent a lot of your time and energy and life in kind of the, the, the education space in particular, right. You know, mm -hmm. um, your work at Hope Academy in Minneapolis, spreading hope, but now at the Anselm house, at, you know, in, in conjunction with, you know, the work at university of, of, of Minnesota there. So you're around, mm -hmm. you've been around and you've, you're a parent. How, how does some of this work? Like you, and you, and you, you've already mentioned some of the things that you're trying to give this, this, I guess, reestablish this alternative vision of, for what, what life can be and maybe what life should be, especially the Christian life. What, what's been like, you know, as you've shared this with other people and especially those university students, what's the connectivity for you between your work and something like this as a piece of work for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I guess I look at education as ultimately about moral formation. I mean, ultimately, there's an intellectual dimension of learning facts and things, right? That, But I think the classical Christian tradition in general never saw a disconnect between the moral formation of the heart of a person and the intellect. There was obviously higher forms of knowledge, but um, I think in, I probably, I think education that's not grounded in piety, and that's an old fashioned word, <laughs> but piety meaning like the, the love of God essentially, and governed by kind of theological truth, I think does oftentimes kind of go astray. And I think I think of education as just about orienting the affections and the, and our minds to understand it's to understand God's world and God's ways. And so really the, the love of God should be encouraged um, throughout all phases of academic life, whether that's, you know, you know, at the undergraduate or, you know, elementary <laughs> high school, undergraduate or graduate and even PhD work. I mean, the work we do at Anselm House is working with faculty and PhD students and grad students at the University of Minnesota, but the same, the same temptations to sort of, to sort of find identity in, in the sort of mastery of knowledge over and against seeing the mastery of knowledge as a form of worship. Um, I think that never ends 
for people, no matter what stage of life you're in. And it's just the, 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 the natural idols and temptations of life um, are, are never changing. So I guess the connection writing this book, I've, I've, I've been in settings with, you know, elementary schools and with in at the college level. And, you know, I was a high school teacher was my first job. And I think all along the way, my kind of burden is helping root and ground people in that the, that God's word and his world are, um, you know, the kind of the two books of God's general revelation and special revelation are like, we were made to know God. Um, I mean, the first, you know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to know him forever. I think that's the ultimate purpose for which we were made. And so I just want to be on about pointing people to that truth. Um, and I think the book was, is a labor of love to hopefully, you know, contribute a small work to doing that. So, so I'm interested in something that, because that's very serious stuff, right? And so, you know, you've worked in places and you're talking with, you know, smart people. You've, you've been a part of like even the work of the gospel coalition and being part of that in your past. And, you know, so there's, there's kind of this serious work, but then you, you, you took an avenue of, you know, you even mentioned it, the whimsical nature of this, you know, there, there is a, a, a energizing nature to writing, you know, an illustrated book like this how how did you take the serious and this desire to reimagine you know a seuss legendary you know book and and then you know to take that and to make sure that you kept kind of this fun energetic but then whimsical nature to to something like this i mean i i what's interesting is i've always been a little bit of a i've always enjoyed kind of satire and um, when I was in college, I drew a comic strip for the kind of doing cultural commentary on, you know, the kind of quirks of evangelical subculture at Wheaton College. And so I've always liked the idea of poking fun at things. Um, and I think oftentimes in Christian circles, the sort of poking fun satirical work happens about poking fun at Christians. And I sort of trained, I decided to sort of trained my attention on a work that I, I love Seuss. And I do think he's, um, was one of the most gifted, you know, uh, children's book writers of the 20th century. But I, and I've always enjoyed kind of art and trying to, trying to make complex ideas simple. I guess it probably the, I started, I've, I've always been involved for the last 20 years in children's ministry. And I think I'm the father of, you know, four children, and in there, those early years, you're trying to kind of, you know, even like catechisms. I love the New City Catechism. You know, I think even working at the Gospel Coalition, um, you know, the um, memorizing, um, you know, the first question of the New City Catechism is what is our only hope in life and death? And it's that we are not our own, but belong to God. That trying to make, trying to distill very deep truths into memorable mnemonic, you know, things is, is kind of part of the reason that I was doing this. I think the sort of the reason that I was drawn to the idea of parodying Seuss's book, one was kind of an homage. I do like Seuss. Um, but secondly is I was seeing a lot of the children's books that 
I think Christians were putting out and they felt like they were kind of a little too simple. Like, I think they're always very just Jesus is the way, which he obviously is. Um, and they didn't seem like they had a lot, a lot of substance to them. Now, obviously a children's book, you want it to be intelligible. So I was, I was wanting to try to draw in at least I, as a parent felt like so many of these children's books felt very um, shallow. And then you read, you know, some of the, you know, kind of classic children's books and they seem, and even Seuss's book, like all oh, the places you'll go, there's something so fun, whimsical and clever about what he's done. And so I was trying to do the same thing as to try to bring a sort of a depth and clever take um, to a, something that was going to be accessible um, to uh, you know, a six-year-old, but also something that, you know, a, a, a parent might think deeply about and or a you know a high school student would kind of take to heart you know uh when they're going off to college and all the temptations that come in that stage of life so i don't know if that answers your question no it's great because even in that you said something that or, or i'll tie a couple things in that you said and then maybe give you that opportunity to respond is there is this idea of I wanted to take something that that is complex. I want to take something that's complex and make it simple. But then it, my interpretation is how do I take something and make it simple without simplifying it or making it simplistic? Yeah. You know, and that that is such there's a creativity, there's a skill set. And then and without, you know, kind of that nature of stripping away, you know, that the intended com complexity. Um I mean, does, is that kind of a little bit of an okay summation? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to kind of read the book, I guess, to kind of get a feel for it. But I, I do think I, from, from feedback I've gotten. So I think some people don't like the fact that it's so deeply theological. Um, I was trying to, I was trying to kind of wait. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of friends and such help me simplify my language. Cause I do think, I mean, to your point, I've sort of been in academic intellectual circles and so my first draft of this, like, felt like a sort of systematic theology, you know, treatise. <laughs> um, but I did, I mean, I think, you know, I, I tried to, there's a map at the beginning of the book, and I was trying to actually distill the sort of order of salvation in it. And there's a little kind of the state of grace and the state of nature that I think are the sort of natural um, uh, conditions under which we in this fallen world tend to operate. And I think even as believers, you know, living in a state of grace, there's still this temptation to always go back to, um, you know, kind of natural habits of mind that I think are grounded in our, um, grounded in kind of being kind of broken creatures in a fallen world. And so, um, but yeah, I was trying to distill it and keep, keep the message simple while keeping embedded within it the the real depth of the journey of the Christian life. And I think I think in some ways I accomplished that. I I think most of what I tried to focus on in the book are the what I call the deadly dead ends. I mean, there are, you know, there's a there's a space called Who Caresville in the book. And I think the temptation is to sort of kind of have and there's a the maze for all those who will make their own way. Um there's the there's the puddle with all of the, um, you know, there's the me bubble zubble and there's all these different pitfalls that I think are generally the, I was trying to, there's not, isn't, it wasn't comprehensive of all the pitfalls of the ways that people can go astray, but it was the, I think 
common temptations that are uh, that people go down. So, so let me ask you one last question, you know, as, as we close out, because I think it's an interesting one as you as you share about, you know, those those directions that you can go those pitfalls, those dead ends, whatever it might be. And then you earlier, you talked about the five crowns, because I, I think it's really that interesting place, right? You compare Seuss's, the places you will go and you use the treasures you'll know. Um, and, 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 and I'm wondering what would be with this book, like what would be your hopes for the students that you're working with at, at the Anselm house? Like, what would be your hopes for the impact of this book, you know, on a different generation? Like what, what like animates that hope for you? And, and what would it be that would give like people hope for an alternative perspective than some of these dead ends that maybe um, Seuss, you know, may have taken us down as a generation? Well, I mean, I think the biggest, I mean, there's a great missionary named C.T. Studd. And the most famous line that he ever said was, "Is one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I do think that that kind of perseverance of the faith for Christians, there's kind of an, like, it's sort of all the way back in the history of Christian faith, that sort of, the, the sort of journey of perseverance amidst suffering is the sort of shape of the Christian life. Like we live in such a, um, uh, a cultural moment where we're surrounded by so much wealth and ease. Um, now, obviously not everyone, but in general, in an American setting, whether you're even the poorest of the poor are living in conditions of general material wealth, but there's a lot of internal resources that I think we've lost to sort of shore up you know, the sort of um, the kind of perseverance that those who've gone before us were able to, to um, consider. And so I mean, my prayer was that would be that people would for their entire lives, for my own children, for myself, that we would keep in mind that the transition that matters most is the one to glory. And that our lives are, you know, that we have a, this is, we have one life, um, and Randy Alcorn, who I was honored that he, you know, wrote an endorsement for it, but he has a famous, you know, he always calls people to live for the line. You know, if our, if our lives in this life are a dot and eternity <laughs> upon our completing of this race of faith will be a line into eternity, right? Um, then the idea is to live for the line. In this dot that we have, these you know, eighty or ninety years of a of an existence, live for the line. So our lives should be keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so that's that's the point of what I was trying to do is to give people a, a shape of a story they could give to their kids or their high school graduates that was going to be pointing people to that truth and not to the truth to to live for success. Or for, you know, David Brooks called it for resume values and instead living for not just eulogy values, but by kingdom values. So. I love it, Dan. Thanks for being with us. 
we got to get this out, get it into friends' hands. But <laughs> I, I, what, I, what I want you to do is I want you to do a video where you're reading the book. So, hey, you know, that that's what I want you to do so I can share that with friends um, and then be able to say, I, I was once this guy's pitching coach and he's the best left-handed pitcher I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and you know what? Like, it's not about like, you know, those things. It's about, yeah, I love it. The treasures you'll know, Dan Olson. Thank you so much. Eric, thanks so much for having me on. And I will, they, the publishers did ask me to do a read aloud. So I'm, I'm, I've got to take some time and do that. So thanks awesome. again.